Hello and welcome to the World of Mouth podcast, where we share the stories of the world's best chefs and restaurateurs and their favorite destinations to travel and eat. My name is Kenneth Nars and I'm the creative director of World of Mouth, a platform that connects over 600 restaurant experts who share their favorite restaurants from the best place to grab a hamburger or a pizza to the latest must-visit new fine dining restaurant opening. Today we're meeting chef Darren Teo, the chef at restaurant Dewa Khan in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. His restaurant has twice been recognized as one of Asia's best restaurants and earned its first Michelin star in 2023. Darren Teo uses his dishes to express the connection to the indigenous people of Malaysia and their produce while applying a modern twist. His first inspiration for cooking he got as a kid from his grandmother's traditional curries. Could you tell me yourself, who is Darren Teo? Uh-huh. Um, well, I am a Kuala Lumpur, I'm a Malaysian native. I mean, I lived here, I've, I was born here. Um, and uh, throughout my career, I've been a chef, I've been an instructor um, in culinary school before I opened Dewakan in 2015. Um, I think what's interesting about um, the way that I look at food is that I have a mixed parentage. So my parents are... My father is Chinese and my mom's Indian, and so you have this really good mix of uh, culture. Uh, yeah, and that's not very that's that's quite quite normal in 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 Malaysia. The the mix of different cultures and heritages, and also the gastronomy, you uh, uh, is is influenced by by that. Uh, you mentioned your restaurant. Tell me a few words about uh, Dewakan. Uh, Dewakan is, well, believe it or not, turning eight years uh, turned eight years old this year. Um, we started in twenty fifteen. The main idea of the restaurant was to showcase indigenous produce from our country, um, and so we do an exploration of ingredients that come from our seas, our rivers, uh, our our jungles and our forests, and also to some of our farmers. And we try to bring all of this into the restaurant for a cool uh, cool experience. Uh, and the, restra- uh, the restaurant is located, how, where is it located? And uh, could you tell me a few words about, uh, about the menu? Some dishes? Yeah, okay. So we are Currently, um, we've moved the restaurant in 2019 from uh, where we previously were. We were on a culinary school uh, university campus. And now we are in the middle of the city, just maybe say about 800 meters maybe from the Twin Towers of KL. And uh, we, are up in a ta- uh, we are up in a building uh, about 48 floors up. Um, so it's quite, quite a high, quite a high um, level. We, the menu is really just just revolves around the ingredients that are in season at the time, and we try to find different things and different ways to um, to make these ingredients interesting for us, and also sometimes to make it palatable. One, I mean, I can give you an example of uh, of of some of the ingredients that we work with. We work with a with a nut called kulim. And it's yeah. uh, its Latin name is Scordocorpus boniensis. Um, it's found in it's really found in the ju- in the jungles and it's quite deep. It comes into season like once 
uh, per tree it comes into season once a year and it's when you're walking into the when you're walking in the jungle if you get a a, a faint of a faint smell of like roasted garlic or like something that's just like you know it's like it's roasted garlic you know that one of these trees are nearby um, so the indigenous people they would collect these um, nuts or these fruits and they would also use the bark or the twigs or the leaves and when you cook it it gives you this sort of like a, a, a sort of like a garlic sensation or a garlic smell um, or garlic flavor uh, but it comes from a tree and this tree is about 30 meters high it's a really large tree and you have to get all of these seeds in before or you have to get all of these fruit in before the wild boar gets it um, so we and work with some communities to get all of these fruit in to the restaurant and then you know we'll figure a way to to make something out of it so either okay. like an oil or like a mayonnaise or something uh, and the produce that you use uh, would most of that have been used uh, traditionally in in malaysia or have you found uh, other new produce from from nature that you've uh, that you've uh, started using without, uh, yeah, having a tradition in in the produce. Um, so it's a little bit of both. A, a big, important source of information for us are the indigenous uh, communities. So they give us a lot of direction in, in how to use and what is traditionally used, especially with the indigenous population or indigenous indigenous communities. Um, and then something, some of them are used in some of the more um, local communities um, and they're like some of the fruits, for example, so like mangosteens or uh, wild mangosteens or wild durians. So these are used by local communities. Then every now and then we would chance upon an ingredient that is probably shared with the, um, the region. So sometimes maybe we might be in Bali and with uh, some of our friends there and we find an ingredient in that looks particularly similar to the ones that we have. And then when we source that out, when we are at home, and then we try to find ways to, um, to use it. Okay. So it's like, it's, we're not bound too much by tradition, but we just look at the ingredients and, and we see a way to, to make it interesting for us. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, if we go back to your, you mentioned that uh, a bit about your, your heritage, but if we go back to your childhood and upbringing uh could you tell me a few words about that uh, about uh, the food traditions that you had and then how you how you stepped into the culinary world ah okay so there are two really different um answers to that um growing up cooking was was really a a a, a very a, a very normal part of our life. Um, so we spent a lot of time in the kitchen and in the living room, which were connected in my, in a, in my grandmother's house. And she was um, a very avid cook. And she, we, she had eight children and seven of them were living in the house at the, at the time. So it was, meals were always big meals. And it was always cooking for like about seven or 10 people um, at any one time. As far as I can remember, while she babysat me, um, some of the things that I had to do were like scraping coconuts or, you know, pounding ginger or pounding garlic on a pestle and mota. So as far as I can remember, five or six years old, this was this was the the job that you know uh, that you were assigned to do. So cooking has always been quite a, a central part in in and also 
things like um, when we had Christmas or you know when we celebrate when we there were celebrations you get all of like my aunts would get together and they'd all get together with the kitchen and they would be helping my grandmother to be preparing like you know fourteen uh, or fifteen dishes that would be used for inviting yeah you know I mean that would be used for Christmas and then we'd be inviting all the family friends. Um, but as far as how I got into cooking. Um, uh, sorry, sorry. One question: Was that uh, your grandmother? Was that Chinese or or Indian cuisine? Ah, uh, there was there was my my on my mom's side. So she's she's immediately from India, um, and particularly from Kerala, which is the northern part of India. Uh, sorry, the southern yep. part of India. Sorry. Yep. So the the cuisine was was lighter. It was not so cream heavy. It's more coconuts. It's more. Um, spice driven. It's um, it, uh, there's a little bit more chili. It's more uh, masala mixes. That was the kind of food that we ate. Okay. Uh, but as far as cooking goes, um, the reason why I ended up, you know, uh, um, cooking in a professional kitchen was really because um, studies was not my best suit. Right. So, so it was. Um, I I mean, it was not academics was not something that I grasped um, as proficiently uh, at that age, so I was always very good with my hands. I loved crafting things. I loved um, um, working with my hands and making things, and also with the history of you know being in my grandmother's kitchen and you know loving the the way that we prepared food, and knowing a little bit about about flavors and a little bit about textures and ingredients um one of the most natural progressions was encouraged by my father and he said like why don't you try hotel management and um see if that works out for you and so i did that and uh, it turned out that i was very interested in it and excelled in it i um and uh and then i started my career Okay, and that was in Kuala Lumpur, or did you go abroad, or how how did it uh, then continue? Um, I started off in my education was in Kuala Lumpur, and then I moved to Singapore. And um, before things like uh, Marina Bay, and before things like um, Michelin and Fifty Best, I was I was working with Lezami, and um, that group of restaurants well i mean i worked in the in in the in the fine dining lesami restaurant and then there used to be another fine dining called ojaran um which was in the botanical gardens and i i worked there as well and i also worked in a few of the restaurants within the group uh for a couple of years and then i returned back to kl and uh at the time i think there was nothing that i found very challenging so um uh, believe it or not i joined a university And started teaching culinary arts. Okay. okay. And <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a very different shift for me to 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 teach um, this next younger generation of cooks um, because you know uh, different values, different work ethics. But I did it for quite a long time, and 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 um, I was quite blessed to have been um, to have great bosses and a great organization that um, that supported us. And in fact, the the first iteration of Dewakan was um, was one of the largest shareholders was actually the university. And you said the the first place of Dewakan was also at the the campus. Correct. It was on the campus. It was a new campus that was being built for, um, 
I, I forget the year, but in 2015, so it must have been, it was completed in 2014. And then in 2015, we opened doors at the restaurant. And uh, since, uh, if you would have to briefly describe the, the journey of Devokan, how, how has it turned out? Um, I think, I think it, I, it, it's a very personal journey. I think, um, there, there were things about myself, uh, that I learned, um, how to, how to negotiate or to maneuver, to navigate. And, um, and I felt that a lot of my personal, um, victories and also sometimes my personal failures were very tied with um, the way that the restaurant expressed itself. Um, it, it felt almost like going through puberty again, uh, just learning and relearning and, you know, being awkward and not knowing where to stand and not knowing where to put your hands. And so it was a, it was a, it was a big learning curve um, in deciding, on, you know, where the cuisine, in terms of like where the cuisine was going to be and, and uh, how you wanted to run the restaurant and, you know, what kind of values and what was important to us. Um, I, I think in this past eight years, it has really been a roller coaster of a journey. Um, and I will be the last person to tell you that we have, we have everything figured out because we, we really don't have everything figured out. But what we do have... What we do have is the is the inclination to try and to do better, and you know if we fail, we fail better, um, and to not take things too seriously, uh, because I think there's more to life than just running a restaurant or working in a restaurant, and it's important if that that you know as leadership we accept that, so that the younger guys also you know um, get a transplant of these values. You've had a few awards uh, or so uh, along the road. Could you tell me about some of them? We have been quite fortunate as being the first first restaurant in, in the country to be on the Asian 50 best list. Um, this was in 2019. Um, I think we placed 46th. 46th. Um, and it was a very proud moment for us. It was, uh, old, I mean, for a very small restaurant with an ambition of cooking interesting food um, to be recognized throughout the region. Um, it was it was great. I think leading up to that, it was also fantastic because we had the respect and, you know, the, the excitement that we shared with our peers, people who were also cooking similarly maybe or who were inspired by our cooking and that was really fantastic. And then having that being recognized um, at the time, you know, Nobody would believe it, but we had like four people in the kitchen and then like one person in the dining room running a 30, 30 seater restaurant, which we're, we, we, we were not full all the time. Um, and it was, it was super challenging, but overnight, just overnight because of the, because of the awards, um, we, we got slammed, like, like really, really slammed. Um, but it was exciting. It was the first step. It was exciting. Um, and then just last year, we were one amongst four restaurants to have been awarded a Michelin star in the city. Um, and uh, okay. that was also exciting to be pioneering it, you know, with other restaurants. Um, so that, that has been really, really nice. 
And it, I think it, it has also been great for the city, great for the country, to, for people to see, you know, um, that this can be a very nice culinary destination as well. In the next part of the podcast, we'll hear Darren Tio's favorite restaurant recommendations in Kuala Lumpur and the rest of the world. If we talk about Kuala Lumpur as as a culinary destination, then uh, uh, if you move over to some of the favorite places that that you uh, love to to eat at, um, to uh, anyone uh, coming to Kuala Lumpur, which uh, which would be the two or three uh, must-have dishes, and where would you have them in 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 your city? <sighs> I guess two Oof. or three. Is, two or three. Uh, that's that, that, <laughs> that's hard. That's a really small scope, Kenneth. Kind of like, <laughs> um, so maybe just a little bit of, maybe just a little bit of context. Um, Kuala Lumpur was was a trading city, and that meant that everybody who passed through the Straits of Malacca or the uh, Johor Straits would have would have had to come and stop by in the city, and and this because it was the most central, right? Um, it was close to a port. Um, it was in between Singapore and Penang, so this made the this made uh, Kuala Lumpur a real um, melting pot for multiple cultures. And this and and over a couple of hundred years, these cultures also then changed and sort of like amalgamated with with each other, and so that's why you have like uh, straight Chinese cooking, and they're like you know like did they. Yeah, Indian Muslim cooking, the cultures that have sort of melded together, and you can't re- they're not the same as the original if you had gone back to you know their motherland. Um, and so with that in mind, it's very difficult to place or to put into categories cooking in in my country. Um, so they mm-hmm. they sort of like sit just by like. The types of restaurants that you would go to, for example. So, like, imagine if you will, if you go to something what we call a, a coffee shop, right? Which is really nothing like a coffee shop you would imagine. Um, it's yeah. basically an open, an open, uh, walled, um, shop lot, and within that you would have like maybe about seven to eight different vendors, small little stalls. And and they would be cooking in these in these stalls, and so you go there, and you don't, and you get to pick where you would or what you would like to eat, and and many of these places have have specialty places, and you know they do a particular type of noodle, or they do a particular type of bread, or they do a particular type of fries, um, and you would go there because they would have made a reputation for themselves. Um, so like in types of dishes, I I I guess it would be really difficult to put together. Um, but if I may, I would like to just say I would like to recommend, um, a, or or to offer an example. Um, yeah, there is a restaurant that I love to go to. It's called Sambal Hijau, which directly translates to green sambal. And in this restaurant, um, it's a, it it when you go to this restaurant, on display and 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 amount, uh, and what you can select is there will be about 80 to 90 different types of preparations of uh, Malay-style padang cooking. And what you would do is, it's not a buffet, but what you do is you get a plate and they would put some rice in that plate and then you would go to all of these um, different 
different dishes that sit in like um, a warmer and you pick out what you like. And often I bring some of my guest chefs or like chefs that are visiting to KL and we will go there and, you know, they eat with their eyes and they will have like about 15 things on their plate. <laughs> they just realize that they can't finish it. But the idea is just to have like about two or three items. Um, so there's that, there's, there's, there's that sort of variety, like there's that sort of like type of eating. Um, but then there are also like, like shops that just do very specific um, dishes. Um, Hyongki which is a shop that does clay pot chicken rice um, in a Chinese style. That's like a favorite of yep. mine. Um, and they only do that. So when you step up to the, when you step up to the restaurant, you're going to see out on the open, they're going to have these charcoal stoves with charcoal, uh, with, with clay pots on them and they will cook rice in that. Um, and when the rice is about 70 to 80% done, they would slide in, uh, marinated pieces of chicken with the and usually the marination has like some soy sauce some oyster sauce some ginger some garlic um, and they would marinate this with like a deep dark soy sauce and then they'll slide this into the rice and the rice finishes its cooking with all of the juices of that chicken just kind of like seeping down into the rice and then you get it piping hot um, so that that's you know I mean just to show you like a stark difference in in terms of how uh, cooking can be in, in my country. And that would be your favorite for that dish? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Number one. I okay. also bring all my, all my guests there. It's, uh, uh, I bring all my guests there with the excuse of, you know, showing them a part of the city, but actually it's for me to have an excuse to go and eat. <laughs> okay, that's good. Okay. Uh, great. Anything else? Uh, if we move to some other dishes or uh, types of food? Yeah, I, I, I mean, within the city as well, there there are places that I mean that that are quite unique in terms of of dishes. I would say um, a chendol, uh, which is a it's usually a, a sweet snack or a sweet dish. Uh, it's shaved ice, a little bit like a kakigori. Um, and on it, you have these noodles made from rice or tapioca flour um, that resemble little small little uh, green noodles. They're flavored usually with pandanus. Um, yep. And then they would have, co and then served with co coconut milk and um, and it has to be gula melaka, which is a type of jaggery or a type of um, caramelized um, uh, tree nectar, palm okay. nectar. Um, so it's the palm sugar, right? And uh, so the quality of the quality of this this dish is dependent on just three items. One is the coconut milk. The other is the gulamlaka or that uh, palm sugar, um, and the third is the quality of the chendol. So I particularly like to go to a restaurant called Makan Time, which is maybe about twenty minutes out of the city um, and a little bit closer to where I live, and he does a, an array of other dishes which are very good um, but I go particularly for the chendol um, it's it's very sinful so I try not to go as often but it's you know it's it's one of those things that you a cure for for a hot day well okay very good very good um, right anything anything else okay yeah yeah, yeah. I, I have one more one more um, but this is not quite in Kuala Lumpur. This is in the state uh, south, south of us. 
maybe it's about a two hour drive. Um, okay. It there is a restaurant called Wen's Kitchen in Malacca, um, in Malacca town. And why I think it this is particularly interesting is because um, she she cooks something called chiti pranakan food, and um, chiti pranakan is is a a pranakan. I can explain this first. Pranakan is a type of um, it's a a type of peop a type of or a word that is given to a type of people that have lived in um, this. In this in this land for like about four hundred or five hundred years, right? So they're not originally they're not Aboriginal, they're not they're not natives, but they came and they lived for about five hundred years, and their culture had got amalgamated with like um the Malay culture, which were the residents at the time. So so she does Chiti Pranakan, which is an Indian and Malay sort of like culture, and uh, Indian and Malay Pranakan, and 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 she. But there are only like about five hundred of them left in the world. There are like five hundred individuals that make up the Chitti Pranakan race, and she's preserving the cooking and the style of cooking um, of her ancestry. And she does that at this restaurant called Wen's Kitchen in Malacca, which I think is very fantastic. Okay, could you give me an example of of a typical dish that that you would eat there? Oh, uh, yes. Um, Mm, it's called pindang telo ikan, which basically means it's a type of gravy, gravied curry, uh, made with um, the um, the fish sacks, um, the fish eggs, right? So yep. when they have the they'll take out. I think usually they would use like either uh, I think they use mackerel usually, and they, when they have these like beautiful fish sacks and they would take that out and then they would make a, a, a curry gravy out of it and then you have that with okay. rice and then you just fall in love uh, alright if we uh, then move abroad from to, to other places uh, in the world where, where you've been uh, any any favourites out there be it Asia or Europe or wherever yeah I think a few really come to mind and that they've been very impactful for me. Um, I would say the most recent one would be uh, Cohen um, by Christian Bauman. Uh, we yep. just had a meal there quite recently, and I thought it was very refined, and and you know it felt like Christian was coming, coming into his own. He was like very comfortable, and you can sense that in the cooking. Uh, Cohen and this is one is Copenhagen. Of them. I'm, yeah, in Copenhagen, uh, correct. Yeah. Um, I'm very excited to see uh, Lokovor next in Bali. Um, so Lokovor have just recently, I think maybe in the past two or three weeks, just closed in their old location. Um, and they have built a brand spanking new restaurant. It looks gorgeous. Um, they're taking reservations now, I think, for January. Uh, but I, I'm so excited to see what these guys, Ilka and Ray, are going to be up to Um they're great cooks and they're really wonderful people. And I think that what they're putting together is quite visionary for that region and, and for Indonesia. Um, okay. And what, I would part, also what part of Bali is this? What, sorry, what part uh, of Bali this is will this? Be in, this will be in Ubud. Okay. Um, I think right. Nuri by Ivan Brem in Singapore um, is also quite fascinating. Uh, it's, it's an extremely intellectual cuisine. Uh, he, what... what 
Ivan does is that he traces crossroads cooking is what he likes to call it. And it's basically the intersections of how culture across the world, you know, have more similarities than they have differences. And then he puts a cuisine together based on that. So that's quite fascinating. Um, Nuri by Ivan Brem in Singapore. Um, yeah. Also in Singapore, also in Singapore's um, Meta restaurant. Um, they've also just moved to a new space. Um, Sun Kim is a super talented chef. Um, really great cooking and, you know, very... It's Korean inspired, but, also, but you know, I think he, he has this way of making something very traditional seem also very very approachable without losing any of that spirit um the intended spirit so i think like meta is definitely a place for me um and uh i think it, i think the last restaurant i would probably say is the chairman um in hong kong I have not yep. forgotten that meal. <laughs> I have not forgotten that meal. I, I was there so many years ago and I just, it just befuddles me that, you know, such clean and, so clean and, and simple cooking, but, you know, at the same time, a high level of technical skill um, in balance and in, and in um, technicality. I think it was, it's, it, was, it was truly a remarkable meal. And I, I, I cannot wait to go back. Um, I cannot wait to go back the next time I'm in Hong Kong to their new space. And what kind of uh, dishes would you uh, would you long for going back there? Uh, the chairman. Yep. Uh, yeah. Oh, the rice noodle with the shaoxing and the crab. That, <laughs> I don't know why. It's but that that dish was that was mind blowing for me. Then uh, last question would be uh, if you could um, could pack your bags uh, tonight after service and uh, leave for any restaurant in the world, um, which um, which restaurant could that be? Oh, that's a hard one. Um, I'm okay. So I I think I'm a little torn at the, at this moment. I don't have a restaurant, but. I would love to explore Morocco um, and that and that region a little bit more. Um, I, I feel like there's so much of history there and there's so much of like um, things that, that I have yet to uncover. That would be a beautiful space for me to go. Um, but if it was a restaurant, I would say I would like to go to Ex-Jabari. The Chabari in the Basque country. Yes, yeah. I mean, I've never been, I've never had the opportunity, um, but like, so that's like on the list. Okay, okay. Very good, very good. Okay, uh, Darren Tio, thank you for this uh, chat, and hopefully you'll make it both to, to Morocco and to Echebari in the Basque <laughs> country. Thank you very thank much you so for much. having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the World of Mouth podcast with Chef Darren Tio, the chef at restaurant Dewa Khan in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. You'll find all of the recommendations mentioned in this episode and more on the World of Mouth app, available in your app store or visit our website at worldofmouth.app. You'll also find these places in our podcast notes. 
I'm Kenneth Nars. Until next week, when we meet Chef Himanshu Saini from restaurant Tresin Studio in Dubai.